just a good old boy Never meaning no harm Beats all you never saw Been in trouble with the law Since the day they was born Straighten the curve Yeah in the hills Someday the mountain might get them But the law never will Making their way The only way they know how Can you see it as you hear it? The crossbow, the exploding outhouse, sliding across the hood of the General Lee, and of course, jumping that car over all manner of things that no car, even with a ramp to aid it, would have been able to jump over. And really, was the car the star of the show? Or were Tom Wopat and John Schneider the stars of the show? Dare I say, the car was as much a star as the actors were. And I could go deep into this if you want. Like at the time that Tom Wopat and John Schneider decided that they were the bigger stars and left the show for a season, and Coy and Vance, their cousins, became the Dukes, and suddenly producers of the show realized that maybe it was the people in the show that were a little, carried a little more star power than the car itself. Anyway, all of that is an aside from the reason we chose the Dukes of Hazard theme song. Good old boys as the theme song to our program today because it was on this day 22 years ago, February the 13th, 2002, when American country singer and songwriter Waylon Jennings died in his sleep. It was after a lengthy fight with diabetes. Waylon Jennings was only 64 years of age. Now, while that might be the song that Waylon Jennings was best known for, it only went to number 21 on the charts. And maybe I'm just biased towards it because I enjoyed the TV show so much as a kid. But Waylon Jennings had a lot more on his resume than simply recording writing and recording the song for the Dukes of Hazard TV show. He was also the bassist for Buddy Holly following the breakup of the Crickets, and that factors into maybe one of the most interesting stories in music history. Waylon Jennings also released a series of duet albums with none other than Willie Nelson throughout the 1970s. He was the narrator on the Dukes of Hazard, as you may recall, and Waylon Jennings was also a member of the Highwaymen with Willie Nelson, with whom he recorded those duet albums, Johnny Cash, and Chris Christopherson. Not bad company to keep yourself in if you are a country singer and songwriter. But back to that story, one of the most famous in musical history, right? The day the music died, Buddy Holly, the big bopper, and that Richie Valens and that plane crash? Well, you see, Waylon Jennings was supposed to be on board that plane. However, as he was part of that musical tour and many were traveling by bus, the Big Bopper 
said, hey, Waylon, I'm feeling a little bit under the weather and getting on that rickety cold bus to travel to the next show in the dead of winter is probably not going to be the best for me. Would you like to swap? You take the bus, I'll get on the plane. And so that's what happened. And Waylon Jennings was one of the survivors on that musical tour that did not get on that ill-fated flight the day the music died. It is nine minutes after nine on this Tuesday morning, the 13th of February. Thank you very much for making time for the show. Always appreciate you stopping by. And remember, when you get here, we are here for you. We are here to hear you. Be a part of the fun and frivolity. Phone lines open the minute we start, 519-570-2545. Star 570, 1-800-570-5715. You can also send emails, mike at 570news.com, and find us on our various social media feeds, at Farwell underscore WR. That'll get you X, that'll get you Instagram, and there's also the Facebook page, facebook.com slash The Mike Farwell Show. One, two, All right, your Farwell Show 5 for this Tuesday morning. Hey, it's Tuesday, not Friday, but the Kitchener Rangers have a home game tonight versus Guelph. For me, that feels like two home games in one because Guelph is a part of our listening area and we love our listeners from the Royal City. Number two, the City of Waterloo has approved its 2024 budget with a tax increase of more than 6%. So in the original staff tabled budget, the average total dollar increase for a household over the next three years is $336, which amounts to about $9.33 per household per month. If we activate all the reductions from the new menu items that staff have uh, sent us on Friday, the increase for three years will be $298. That amounts to $8.28 per month per household. So that's a difference of $1.05 per month. That is City of Waterloo Ward 5 Councillor Jen Vasek with her rationale for the numbers. City of Cambridge is finalizing its budget today with a proposed increase of more than 5%. Number three on your Farwell Show 5 this morning. Canada's Auditor General has found a, quote, glaring disregard for management practices in analyzing the federal government's efforts to create the ArriveCan app. I have to say that I am deeply concerned by what this audit didn't find. We didn't find records to accurately show how much was spent on what, who did the work, or how and why contracting decisions were made. The app was originally estimated at a cost of $80,000. $80,000. Final price tag turned out to be almost $60 million. That's the best guess the Auditor General could make yesterday. We'll talk more about that on the show this morning at 11. Number four on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, Ontario Premier Doug Ford holding a media conference in about 15 minutes' time. He's scheduled to arrive at the podium. This follows yesterday's provincial fiscal update. Meantime, the Ontario government also says it will not be appealing the Court of Appeals ruling yesterday that Bill 124 capping public sector wage increases at 1% was unconstitutional. And number five on your Farwell Show 5 this morning, the parent company of Tim Hortons, Burger King, and other chains is reporting fourth quarter profit that more than doubled 
from a year ago. Restaurant Brands International says its revenue rose to $1.82 billion U.S. in the last quarter. And a little bonus for your Farwell Show 5 this morning. As you heard in that 9 a.m. update with Mark Douglas, regional police are going to be providing us an update later this morning in just over an hour's time about a homicide that had occurred in Waterloo late last year. So we'll get you that information through the day here on City News 570. It is 9.13. This is the Mike Farwell Show. And an opportunity for us in just a moment to tell the story of the dumbass driver of the day. Stay with us. This is City News 570. I remember not long ago, a couple of weeks or so, when I first came up with this little idea. Doug called and said, Mike, you're not going to have any shortage of material. And dare I say, Doug was spot on. As we have another opportunity on this Tuesday morning, the 13th of February, to tell the story of the dumbass driver of the day. Now, As you probably know, I could probably, if I'm being honest about this, include myself in this category every single day because I, out of spite for my frustration with our roundabouts, which I think are too rinky-dinky, too tiny, I, I don't use my turn signal. However, after being reminded by you that, hey, you don't want to put yourself in the category of being the dumbass driver of the day, then you should use your signal. So I am working on it. And it's funny because sometimes I just go back into autopilot mode and I forget. The thing about using one's signal in the roundabout is that, I don't know about you, but you're reaching for it almost as soon as you make entry into the roundabout and then you're signaling right to leave. But Certainly not much of a turn there to actually exit, and then you have to turn your signal off manually. I know, big, difficult things you're forced to do as a driver, right? Anyway, I think I'm batting about 700 when it comes to using my signal and using it properly in the roundabout. So about 70% of the time. I'm getting there. I'm going to get up to 100% of the time. I share this anecdote because it is a turn signal in a roundabout, That leads us to the story today. And of all vehicles, in this particular case, it was a school bus. (laughs) So I'm driving home from work yesterday, and I'm on the Iron Needles racetrack where I have multiple roundabouts to navigate on my way home. And as I'm approaching the first of these roundabouts, there is a school bus, big yellow bus, right-hand lane, enters the roundabout, and then the left turn signal is activated. And so I'm thinking to myself, well, this is not going to end well. If you're in the outside lane of the roundabout and you think you're going all the way around to make a left-hand turn, that's just, that's not going to happen. So I stayed a safe distance back, and sure enough, the bus did not exit making a left-hand turn, 
it exited, it exited, pardon me, uh, as if it were going straight. It didn't make a turn at all. In fairness, I, I do recall the driver activating the right turn signal as he exited the roundabout, which is what you're supposed to do. So I thought, okay, well, that, w- that was interesting. Maybe it's a mistake. But as I said, I get multiple roundabouts to navigate on my way home every day. And so we get to the next roundabout. And by this point now, I'm just staying back for pure research purposes slash entertainment. Sure enough, entering the next roundabout, left turn signal goes on. (laughs) And again, doesn't go all the way around to make a left turn. Thank goodness, because he was in the outside ring of the roundabout and continued merrily along Iron Needles Boulevard, signaling left in every roundabout when... He did not make a left-hand turn at all. So you, sir, driving the big yellow school bus on Ira Needles Boulevard yesterday afternoon are the driver of the day. Pretend it's an intersection, okay? If you're taking the first spoke out of the roundabout, that would be a right-hand turn. Signal right and exit. You've got your turn signal and your roundabout exit signal on all at the same time. If you are going straight, which means you're going to continue on the same road, then you only need to signal your exit from the roundabout. You always signal your exit by signaling right. And if you are entering the roundabout and you want to take the third spoke, essentially make a left-hand turn at that intersection, you signal left so everybody else that sees you knows you're going all the way around. And then... When you get to that third spoke, which will take you approximately 0.8 of a second, you will signal right to exit the roundabout. That is the way it is supposed to be done. And I would like to think, if you are driving a school bus, you know when and how to signal in a roundabout. Speaking of, we may soon be seeing yet another roundabout, because you know how I like to describe us, right? The roundabout capital probably of the entire country, but I'll leave it at Ontario for now. But the city of Kitchener yesterday approved an extension of Strasbourg Road south of Huron, and that is where the region of Waterloo is proposing putting in a roundabout where Strasbourg would link up with New Dundee Road, and Kitchener Council spent some time talking about a new 160 uh, stacked townhome development, 160 units uh, on New Dundee Road, last night but the idea of yet another roundabout here's what i'll tell you about that if you're anything like me and you don't love the roundabouts don't worry this one will take a while the city the region trying to get together and figure it all out nah put your feet up we'll wait for them to figure it all out this is the mike farwell show on city news 570 It is 9.28, couple minutes away from your update in the City News Centre. Always time to hear from and talk to you. Let's go to the phones. Ben, good morning. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm great, thanks, Ben. How are you? I'm pretty good. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks um, for making it. Uh, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that uh, I don't signal when I go through the large roundabouts. Um and I really disagree with your description. Uh, and I, I never heard of that before, that you're supposed to signal as if it was a regular intersection. 
the problem with that is how would you know if you're the other person waiting for that car, you don't always see where they enter from. And on some of those, you know, some of those roundabouts, there's a lot of traffic. I don't think that makes any sense. Someone's signaling that they're turning left to go on the third spoke. As the other driver waiting, that, that means nothing, right? Um, the, I, I agree the roundabouts are too small in the sense that if you're signaling, it's almost a moot point because, first of all, everyone's leaving the circle when they get in. So, of course, someone's turning at some point. And it's like the general rule. If you're, let's say you're, you know, let's say you're waiting to leave a parking lot and you're turning left and there's oncoming traffic on your left and they have a signal and you might assume that that signal means they're turning right away, but they might be signaling for the next or they may have left their signal on. And it's the general rule that even though that person looks like they might be turning and you might be safe to go, you wait until you know they're turning, not the signal, right? So I, I just think signaling in the, in, the, in the roundabouts doesn't make any sense at all. It really doesn't. I appreciate the call, Ben, and I appreciate your uh, safety message insofar as you may see the signal, but wait to be sure that driver has committed to the turn <laughs> before you actually react, right? I think that's a good general rule when driving regardless. However, I will just add to this with the whole idea of signaling left in a roundabout the only vehicles that you should be concerned with as that person signaling left are the people behind you nobody should be coming into the roundabout until the way is clear which would mean the vehicle making that left-hand turn at the third spoke has cleared the second spoke if you will and then turns on their right signal to indicate their exit and that person coming on from the second spoke would then see the right signal and realize the exit's about to happen. This is the perfect world, Ben. And I, don't, I think our roundabouts are far from perfect, but I'll just leave it there, just telling you what the Highway Traffic Act tells us to do. An update from the City News Centre, and then why strong mayor powers are sounding a sour note in the city of Guelph. That conversation coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. You're listening to City News 570. Last week, during his State of the City address, Guelph Mayor Cam Guthrie announced that he would be using his strong mayor powers to urgently address three things. One, set the budget under 4%, not 10. Two, set up strategic real estate partnerships on city-owned assets, especially surface parking lots, to transform them into more housing. Sound familiar? And number three, immediately inform Council of Logistics to set up a temporary tiny home structured encampment site for those experiencing homelessness. That came during the State of the City address last week. Leanne Caron is the Ward 5 Councillor in the City of Guelph and joins us for a conversation. Good morning, Leanne. 
Good morning, Mike, and uh, happy World Radio Day to you and your team. Well, thank you very much for that. We're very pleased to still be here doing these things and having these conversations with people such as yourself, because these are important conversations in the community, to be sure. You, I will characterize your response to the mayor's urgent calls during his State of the City address. Uh, not exactly thrilled, overjoyed, maybe caught off guard. What was it about what the mayor said that maybe rubbed you the wrong way? It was absolutely the caught off guard bit. Um, we are facing serious problems in our community and across across the nation. Um, people experiencing homelessness, uh, the housing crisis, affordability, taxation. These are all issues that we have addressed in our strategic plan. We've got our staff working on them. We've got community groups working on them. We've got county, the county, which is our social services provider, working on them. Um, these are things we all take very seriously, and these are things that council, I believe, universally wants faster action and more resources. So to announce the use of strong mayor powers to get things done was, I believe, very disrespectful and and disingenuous, to be honest, because we already are working on these things. It's not what strong mayor powers are for. Um, And we had been together as a council the very night before, less than 10 hours before this announcement, and the mayor did not uh, share that announcement with uh, with his his colleague, uh, his team, the people he needs the most. We need a strong council, and uh, uh, we don't need political theater. Do you support the idea of a budget at four percent, real estate partnerships to build perhaps on surface parking lots, and a tiny home encampment? Uh, absolutely. These are these are things we've talked about as a council, talked about as a community. These are not new ideas. Um, we actually have active work going on in all three of these areas. We just came out of a budget process where it's very clear our staff worked hard uh, to get the tax increase down below 4%. And I, I'll just point out that the city portion of our tax increase is already below 4%. Um, the additional portions of our tax the, the, um, are related to provincial impacts and outside boards where we have no control. So again, a very disingenuous announcement because we're already below 4% on the city portion and we're working hard to get it even lower. So does this speak then, Leanne, in any way to a fractious or divisive council in Guelph right now? I, I hope not, Mike. I mean, we've spent a year trying to build relationships with the staff and intergovernmental and within our own council team. I honestly don't know what's behind this announcement. It was so unnecessary. We're, we're already on board on all three of these issues. Um, so I really don't understand um, the rationale behind it. Uh, the mayor has previously said that he won't use strong mayor powers. I think in all three of these topic areas, he didn't need to use them. He's got a strong council if he wants to use us. Um, you know, we, we are behind solutions on those issues. Um, and, uh, you know, there's an old saying, Harry S. Truman, that it's amazing what you can accomplish when you don't care who takes the credit. It's one of my absolute favorites for sure. So how do we move forward then as a council in Guelph? Well, I think this council, at least every councillor I've spoken to, 
um, is still focused on the goal. The the focus is on solving these issues quickly and uh, efficiently and and getting resources to the table. Um, I think as a council, it's our job to stay focused on those goals and ignore all the political noise and and, um, um, stay true to our goals. Is it possible to achieve those goals, Leanne, with only the property tax base to support the advancement of them? Only the property tax base? Absolutely not. Um, And keep it under 4%. That's completely unrealistic. Every single level of government has to be on this. We need the community on this. We need developers and home builders and social service nonprofit organizations um, this is a complex problem, and it needs complex, um, multi-layered solutions that involve all layers of government. As always, Leanne, I appreciate your time on the show. Thank you very much for being here. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Leanne Caron is the Ward 5 councillor in the city of Guelph, and she says she was rather taken aback, caught off guard by the announcement from Guelph Mayor Cam Guthrie during his State of the City address that he would employ his strong mayor powers in order to achieve three things. Set the budget under 4%, set up strategic real estate partnerships on city-owned assets, especially surface parking lots, and create the environment for a temporary tiny home-structured encampment site for those experiencing homelessness. It's not that Councillor Caron and others, as I've come to learn in Guelph, are opposed to those ideas. It's just that they didn't know that the mayor was going to sort of upstage them during this State of the City address. Now, we did try to uh, get Cam Guthrie on the show today. It didn't work with his scheduling. He's been gracious with his time with us before. But... I'm not really sure, without covering Guelph Council on a day-to-day basis, what this would all be about. It it strikes me, having listened to Councillor Caron this morning, as being a little bit of political theatre. I think these are absolutely noble goals. I have a difficult time understanding why anybody on council would be opposed to them. And now I wonder, I'm left to wonder, how... Guelph Council moves forward. Sound like a good use of strong mayor powers to you? We've heard across the board when these powers were granted to municipalities just like ours here in the region and in Guelph, mayors across the board said they had no intention of using them. Well, the mayor of Guelph now says he is absolutely going to use them to urgently move on these three things. A good use of strong mayor powers? An abuse of strong mayor power since the rest of his council seems to think they were all on the same page anyway? Your thoughts always welcome on the show. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. Every single level of government has to be on this. We need the community on this. We need developers and home builders and social service nonprofit organizations. This is a complex problem and it needs complex, multi layered solutions that involve all layers of government. That is Ward 5 Councillor in Guelph, Leanne Caron, joining us to talk this morning about how surprised she was to learn in Guelph Mayor Cam Guthrie's State of the City address last week that he was going to invoke his strong mayor powers to get some stuff done around the budget, including 
limiting the increase to under 4%, creating space for a tiny home encampment to support the homeless, and looking at real estate opportunities, including surface parking lots, for more housing. It's not that Councillor Caron is against the ideas. It's just that she thought the entire team was working towards them. And then all of a sudden, the mayor mentioned in his State of the City address that he would use his strong mayor powers to get this done. In other words, kind of shining a spotlight on himself. That's certainly the way at least one member of Guelph Council feels. 519-570-2545, star 570-1800-570-5715. George, good morning. Yeah, good morning. Mike, I'm a positive guy, and I'm going to put a positive spin on this. I'm hoping Councillor Caron is still listening. Is it possible, Mike, very possible, that most of council agree on this, and um, Cam Guthrie, is, all he's doing is pushing this agenda through faster so it can get done, it can be established, and things can get underway, because the group already agree on most of the items anyway. I would I would agree with that, George. I hear where you're coming from on that. I, I guess if that was the ultimate intention, though, the mayor could have said in his State of the City address that we as a council are moving forward urgently on these three issues, as opposed to I am going to invoke my strong mayor powers. But it doesn't seem that way, does it? It doesn't. All right, right. Okay. Have a good day. Thanks, George. You too. Good to hear from you. And politics, right? And there is absolutely such a thing as political theater. Just to touch on, and you heard Leanne Caron, the Ward 5 counselor in Guelph, mention it in that clip that our guy on the other side of the glass, Devin Robertson, played for us. These problems cannot, they absolutely cannot be solved on the backs of property taxpayers only. And I I recognize, look, there's only one taxpayer, right? Whether you're paying a property tax or a provincial sales tax or a provincial income tax or a federal income tax or a federal HST or a carbon tax, there is only one of you. So I acknowledge that when I say that these problems cannot be solved by property tax, the property tax base itself. However... What I'm getting at with that is how complex these problems are. And again, you heard Councillor Caron reference that in the clip that Devin just played for us. Upper levels of government are going to need to get involved here. And and I would submit to you that some of the most important work that our local councillors do today is advocate to those upper levels of government. Take meetings, show up at offices, whatever the case may be to get a better deal trilaterally here, right? Municipality, province, federal government. All three need to be involved on solving some of these bigger issues around homelessness because it's not just about homes, is it? It's about mental health. It's about addictions, et cetera, et cetera. And we know this, so I would like to think that that is a direction that we're headed, which is why I worry a teeny-weeny bit about Waterloo Council and its 6.1% tax increase approved last night and 20 plus percent over the next three years. I think it's out of touch with 
our ability to pay. It's not that these things don't need to be done. I understand the desire, but I think Waterloo Council is trying to do all of the things when really it can only do and and frankly should only do so much. I give credit to Ward 3 Councillor in Waterloo, Hans Roach. He was the only member of Waterloo Council last night who voted against the 6.1% increase. We'll take a quick break. Come back with more on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570. Very difficult times for municipalities with all of the pressures on the budgets. How do they accomplish what's absolutely necessary, plus further their own goals that they want to advance while in office? And can't we all just get along? Not certain by the sounds of things that that is the case in Guelph right now. I guess we'll see how it works out moving forward. Let's get back to the phones. Sarah is with us this morning. Hi, Sarah. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Um, I was wondering, is this the only council that has kind of made a complaint about this, or are they all kind of complaining about this? Uh, I wouldn't say all, but I have seen two for sure who have expressed concern with the way the mayor is advancing this agenda. Yes. Okay, so I was just thinking if it's just one, maybe there's a little bit of a conflict in there between the two of them, right? But Sure, good I thought. Know, the strong, strong mayor power to me, as soon as it came out, I thought, well, for sure they're going to use it. Like any politician, they all say no, no, no. And then, of course, they're going to use it, right? <laughs> I think that's a very astute observation. <laughs> Makes sense to me that they're going to use it. So I'm not surprised. Yeah, if you put the power in front of them, if you give them the opportunity to exercise this authority, why should we be surprised that they ultimately do? Exactly. They were given the power, so I don't see an issue. Sarah, it's a it's a great point, and I appreciate you making it. This, And we'll wait and watch, I guess, and see if other mayors, because again, this applies to the mayors, clear across our community and outside into our broader listening area of Guelph and the surrounding counties and communities. They all have, thanks to the new powers granted them by the province, these things called strong mayor powers. Initially, oh no, we're not going to use it. And then maybe when push comes to shove, this does, I don't know, it does strike me a little bit. uh, Uncharacteristic of the mayor of Guelph that I've come to know over my years working at this radio station and conducting various interviews with the mayor of Guelph. I guess we'll just see how it works out. But I can promise you this, Guelph Council is one I'll be keeping a very close ear and eye on because you want to see, you want to know if they're all getting along, if they're having tea, as my friend's mother was fond of saying. Because if they're not having tea, that means they're not getting along. All right, we've got an update from the City News Center coming your way. And then Bill 124... I mean, we all knew it was unconstitutional, right? That effort by the province to cap public sector wage increases at 1%. We'll talk about it coming up on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570.
as you would have heard yesterday during all news afternoons here on City News 570, Ontario's top court upheld a previous superior court ruling that Bill 124 was unconstitutional. Bill 124, of course, was the provincial government's efforts to cap public sector wage increases at 1%. Dr. Claudette Holloway is the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario and joins us to talk about it. Claudette, good morning. Good morning, Mike, and thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very much for making the time. And I suspect that the RNAO, like other unions, is quite pleased by this turn of events in Ontario's top court. Well, this is something that RNAO, along with others, have been advocating for for a long time. So we want to uh, move forward so that uh, nurses and other public sector workers can obtain some fair compensation so we can look at retaining them here in the province uh, so we can have the best health care system that Ontarians deserve. Are we losing health care professionals, nurses, Claudette, because of this legislation or have we lost? Well, our members have reported that, yes, we have lost uh, uh, nurses across the border to other provinces and um, we already know that the nurses were overwhelmed and uh, working so hard with the pandemic. And, you know, they did a great job uh, supporting Ontarians in the darkest hours. And uh, they felt undervalued and disrespected uh, with the Premier's approach to Bill 124. So we just want to move forward now and look at how we can get a fair compensation again. Um, already with the inflation, the nurses were already behind. So putting that 1% cap was further devastating to their, uh, n- the nurses being able to sustain their income. And uh, now we want to see that wages are harmonized because there are a number of non-unionized workers who do not uh, come under this uh, current legislation. So we want to make sure that the government harmonizes wages up so that all nurses can receive the, the pay they deserve and that they have earned over their hard working years, particularly during the pandemic. So let's get busy. We're uh, RNAO. We're willing to work with the government to move forward so that we can have appropriate uh, retention issues. Nurses need to be able to have fair workloads. And this uh, legislation is a good start to encourage nurses to build their careers in the, in the province. What does fair compensation for registered nurses in Ontario look like? Well, it's um, we have our unions who have done an excellent job in also advocating, and there is a, a variety of ways that that can be done. So um, we know that once we, they don't have a cap of one percent, then that's going to look like better compensation to keep track of, uh, you know, keep pace with. Um, our current inflation rate and how expensive things are. So uh, once that cap is removed, then we can look at something that is uh, more realistic to what our nurses should be valued at. What does or how how does compensation for nurses in Ontario compare to compensation for nurses in other parts of Canada? Well, we know that uh, historically our Ontario nurses have been uh, one of the lowest paid. So um, we want to see that um, based on what we have here in the province, based on our uh, financial situation, that they have some fair compensation. And I'm sure that RNAO and other public sector leaders 
uh, who are advocating for this will, you know, come together with the government and determine what that should look like. But we know once you've got that cap removed, which is has not been fair, then we can start to look at what is better for them. And then again, to harmonize across all the uh, the nurses and the, the community health workers, public sector workers. So when you're talking about harmonizing those wages, Claudia, what, what does that look like? Can you give me an example of somebody who's making one thing but should be brought in line with others? Well, as we've seen in the past, um, hospital nurses, you know, received an, an increase, but that was only for hospital nurses. So uh, they're more, uh, the healthcare system is supported by nurses from all um, practices. So we have nurses in long-term care, we have nurses in community, nurses in, in mental health. So we want to see that not just the focus on, on ho- uh, nurses in hospitals, but in all of the nursing professions uh, for us as, as a, a professional association for nurses. We want to see that harmonization and harmonization uh, that is fair and equitable. So not harmonizing down, but harmonizing up. Are there any discussions or negotiations with the province, the health ministry that are imminent right now? Well, we make ourselves available. Uh, this announcement was just, well, as we speak, right, it was just made just yesterday. So we, uh, Arneo, we make ourselves available to uh, meet with the government. And I'm sure that um, in the very short term, we will be able to, to do just that. So we, are, we make ourselves available and we're ready to work with the government. Claudette, I appreciate your time on the show today. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks so much, Mike, for the opportunity. Enjoy your day. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Dr. Claudette Holloway is the president of the Registered Nurses Association of Ontario. And I think you would describe that as a, a familiar response from a union leader in this province after Bill 124 was deemed yesterday unconstitutional. Interesting in this that the provincial government has said it will begin immediately the process of repealing the bill. There will be no further appeals. So something in that decision yesterday must have signaled to the province that another appeal is not going to do it any good and would essentially be a waste of time. I find that rather interesting in all of this. And listen... I don't think there is any arguing here the unconstitutional nature of legislation that says thou shalt get a 1% increase and nothing more. I have no problem if you take that as a bargaining position, but you can't take away the right to collectively bargain the next contract. So I'm not surprised at all by this court ruling. It is my sense that almost unanimously we would agree on quote-unquote fair compensation, higher compensation, maximum compensation. I don't know how you want to characterize it, but take your pick. But I think we would unanimously agree on that compensation for frontline nurses, other healthcare professionals, etc. And at the same time, I think we might agree, maybe not unanimously, but I think there would be many of us who agree that there are other parts of the public sector where 
frankly, a wage freeze would be in order. I understand that you can grow very accustomed to the amount that you are earning and then just expect that to be adjusted for inflation or adjusted upwards with every new contract. But if you take the high-level view of this and compare some parts of our public sector to their peers doing the same job in other provinces or in other parts of North America, I think we can find some parts of our public sector that are doing very well, above average. Thank you very much. And I think that brings us to the elephant in the room in all of this, right? Why Bill 124 was the direction that the Ford government took, I don't know. Because, again, I think we can all understand the unconstitutional nature of taking away one's right to collectively bargain. However, the the underlying idea here, I believe, is an overall wage restraint in the public sector or a way to find some sort of savings. I'm going to take you back to Tim Hudak. I know I've done this an awful lot, but when he was running for the leadership of the Conservative Party in Ontario, the narrative got out that he was going to slash 100,000 public sector jobs. We don't have to parse that out, what it really would have meant, what it would have looked like, et cetera, et cetera. You know, early retirements, attrition, jobs not being refilled, et cetera. Doesn't matter. The bottom line is, I, I feel as though, and this is the elephant in the room, that we have come very close to a tipping point. We have a public sector whose salaries are paid by the private sector, and people working in the private sector are having more and more trouble making ends meet. The cost of living has risen to a point that many of us are on that paycheck-to-paycheck lifestyle today. And in order to continue paying higher-than-average salaries in the public sector, we have to pay more in taxes, which then further reduces our own purchasing power. I feel as though we're getting to some sort of tipping point in all of this. I could be way off. Maybe you've got a better handle on it than I do. But that's what I feel, or that's where I feel we're at right now. Your thoughts always welcome on the show. It's the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. We know that they don't have a cap of 1%, then that's going to look like better compensation to keep pace with our current inflation rate and how expensive things are. So once that cap is removed, then we can look at something that is more realistic to what our nurses should be valued at. Thanks to Christine for the email to Mike at 570news.com. Yes, indeed. The Registered Nurses Association of Ontario is not itself a union. It's a professional association that all nurses in Ontario may choose or choose not to join. But representative of all of those nurses, part of the association working within those various unions within our various healthcare settings. Russell sends an email to mike at 570news.com. You'll forgive me if I don't have any sympathy for public sector unions. I haven't had a raise in five years. These unions are going to break us. I think that the sentiment expressed by Russell is growing more common. Not necessarily the no raises in five years, but the idea 
that the unions are going to break us. As I said before the break, I feel as though we're getting close to a tipping point because the reality is in order to fund public sector salary increases, those of us who pay the taxes in the private sector, and we may not have had raises in five years, are expected to pay more to keep those other people employed and doing the important work that they do. It's it's just a really interesting time, I feel, given the current economic climate. Let's go to the phones. Sean, good morning. Good morning. I, I, I think there's two sides to this. You know, if you look at um, jobs years ago, people used to, they used to belong to unions. They used to have benefits and good salaries, and they got raises. And then somehow people got convinced that unions were evil. You know, they got convinced, oh, you're going to lose your jobs. So, and so they, they fell for it. And what do we have now? People have no benefits. Uh, they have jobs where they, that they can lose almost instantly. They get very poor raises. Meanwhile, you get guys like Galen Weston getting million-dollar bonuses. Uh, well, you know, you get these poor people struggling with, uh, I mean, think about it. You were convinced unions are evil, and here you are with no benefits, nothing. And but the public sector does have those things. But on the other hand, I look at some of the uh, other public sectors. They're having problems hiring people in IT because they can't compete with the private sector in salaries. So it, it just all depends what's going on. Sean, appreciate the call, and I hear where you're coming from. And and like other things, I feel as though the pendulum may have swung simply too far in the other direction. There's no question that organized labor was absolutely necessary. The unions were born out of essentially abuse of the employee, right? We can thank the labor movement for the 40-hour work week, for example. And then so it it got it brought tremendous gains to employees and and to the state of the workforce in general. I don't think there's any disputing that. But over time, did, as I said, the pendulum start to swing a little bit too much in the other direction? And now we're at a point where maybe, I mean, I love it or lump it, Bill 124 was some sort of attempt at a market correction here. I don't know what happened. I I am no expert in the field. I'm just sharing my perspective as somebody who is on the side of feeling the tremendous weight of the increasing cost of living. And I consider myself pretty average. We could argue about that if you want to. But I feel like if this is the way I feel in this economy, many of you probably feel similarly. And how do we get that message out there? that there is only so much room left for you to dig your hand into our pocket to fund this thing, that thing, or the next public sector wage increase. I don't know. I don't know. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. One of the more interesting parts of 
Ontario's top court's decision yesterday that Bill 124, capping public sector wage increases at 1%, was unconstitutional. I don't think that comes as a surprise to anyone. But one of the more interesting sidebars to this story, for me anyway, is the fact that the provincial government is not going to appeal this any further. And in fact has stated that it will immediately begin the process of repealing the legislation. That indicates to me that something in that decision rendered yesterday indicates to the province that any further appeal would prove futile. Interesting times, though, I think, with the bigger picture here of some measure of public sector wage restraint. And we're going to touch on that a little bit more in about 30 minutes as well, just after the 11 a.m. news when we talk about this ArriveCan app and how it ballooned from an estimated cost of $80,000 to almost $60 million. It's mind-boggling what's gone wrong within the creation of the app and all of the bills. But what's even more interesting and connected, I believe, to public sector wage restraint is we have a federal civil service that has ballooned in number over the years absolutely exploded and yet we're still contracting out so much work it it, the two that does not add up that circle does not square for me so we'll talk about that just after the 11 a.m news right now it's off to the city news center for an update and then let's band together against diabetes an important fundraiser returns for another year we talk about it next on the mike farwell show this is city news 570 here because well it turns out If you do this show for a long enough period of time, things will turn into traditions of sorts. And I'm going to call this an annual tradition when my good friend Christy Miller joins me in studio and brings a very important guest. Her son Oscar is with us this morning as well. Can we just start there? Oscar, good morning. Good morning. Do you do this a lot? Come on the radio and TV and just, you know, hang out like a superstar under the bright lights? No. No? This, is this your first time? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> welcome. It was my first time one day, too, a long, long time ago. It's really nice to have you here. Thanks for coming. Thanks for having us, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and Christy, always good to see you. Thanks, as always, for uh, stopping by and sharing this tradition with us every Absolutely. year. Absolutely, and thanks for having us. And our new guest this year, it has been great. We love stopping by and sharing some notes and hoping to work toward our fundraiser again this year. So it's usually our kickoff. So we're happy to be here. Thanks. I love the name of it, Band Against Diabetes, because there's just a great little play on words there as we all come together to Mm -hmm. band against diabetes. And also this is a musically themed fundraiser. Can you take us back to the beginning, Christy, and how and why this all got started? Right. Absolutely. So 
We started doing the walk as a family, just as a fundraiser. Obviously, the backstory is I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 21. So I was in third year university, seemingly out of nowhere. Um, This joined our our lives. And so uh, fast forward a few years later, we decided to start doing the JDRF Walk for the Cure um, did that for a couple of years and just, you know, sent out a fundraising link and, you know, people that knew us knew that this was a thing for me. Um, and then when we had Oscar, our first child, uh, at 18 months, Oscar was diagnosed with type one diabetes as well. So then it wasn't just me, it was us, right? Oscar's too little to remember all of that, but, um, the family kind of just said, you know what, we can do more than just the walk. Like maybe, you know, the Millers like to throw a party. Maybe we could throw a party in some respect. Um, so actually, I think it was my sister and brother-in-law. We'll disagree about whose great idea it was. But um, said, let's do a big party. Like maybe we could rent some space and my brother-in-law is involved in the music scene and we can have some bands and sell some tickets. Let's just go for it. Um, and that was 2019. And that was our first event. Um, And that year we raised $15,000. We just were blown away by the support. Um, And then we had the couple dark years of COVID, (laughs) which we're all, it's fine. Um, We still fundraised for the walk those years, um, but obviously nothing was really normal during those couple of years. And then we brought this event back last year. Um, So our event is called Band Against Diabetes. Um, It's the main event Band Against Diabetes is going to be on Saturday, April 20th. Um, We sell tickets. We have four bands. We hold it at the Waterloo Legion, which has been super supportive of our cause the whole time. Um, Double duty for us, really, because we're also Legion members. So we're giving back to the Legion at the same time that we're hoping to give to JDRF. Um, It's just a good time. Last year was sold out before the event even happened. Um, the community support has been amazing. And by the end of it last year, we raised just shy of $26,000. So our trajectory is looking good. It sure is. From yeah. 15000 that first year in 2019, continuing some level of momentum fundraising mm-hmm. for the JDRF walk right. in the dark years. And then yes. last year coming back with quite a bang at just under $26,000. Absolutely. For yeah. sure. We are... Um, we are always very impressed and feel very supported and honestly just humbled by the whole experience. It's just when you start to do the math and tally things and go, wow, like the amount that we were able to do as a team is we're pretty, pretty proud of ourselves. Oscar, can you tell us a little bit? So your mom mentioned she was 21 years old when she got diagnosed all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. She's an adult. You're a baby. What's life been like? You're 10 years old now. What's it like living with type 1 diabetes? Um, It's like you're always doing stuff that you wouldn't usually do, like pricking yourself, checking your sugar, um, giving insulin, so it's harder. How do you feel? I mean, I don't want to make you feel worse if it's tough for you, but I know how I would feel having to prick myself like that. How How do you like that? It's fine now. You get used to it. Yeah, I'll bet you do. Yeah, it hurts first at first, and then after like a year or two, it's fine. Good for you. That's a really good attitude to have on you that. You also do lots of math, right? Oh, what do you have to do the math for? Well, because it's anything that you consume guessing. as a diabetic, right? You guessing. can explain, right? 
Yeah, we gas a lot. Well, we have to <laughs> gas, but I mean, anything you consume, you need insulin for, right? right? So diabetes, obviously type 1, or I shouldn't say obviously, type 1 is an autoimmune disease that a person's pancreas, for whatever reason, stops producing insulin, right? So normally that hormone enables your body to break down and use energy from food. But because that's not happening for us, we have to give ourselves insulin to cover the food that we're eating. So we have to know what we've consumed to be able to give ourselves the right amount of insulin, right? So we're always checking packages and labels and counting the amount of carbs in things. And like Oscar said, a lot of times if you go out or... You know, you get into a bag of chips. Sometimes you're not <laughs> counting all the chips and you're doing some guessing, right? Right. So sometimes it can get a little bit. It's almost all guessing. Yeah. It can get a little dangerous sometimes, right? Because th- what, what keeps us alive also can really harm us if we have too much of it, right? Sure. Which is part of a reason for trying to fundraise to get rid of this disease because insulin isn't really a cure. It obviously allows us to survive, but it can it be. Helps. Yeah, Absolutely. But we still have to do all those things to maintain being here, right? And it would be nice for us to find a cure and not have to do all the things that Oscar mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Are there certain foods, Oscar, that you just can't even eat anymore? Um, Very sugary stuff. Very sugary stuff. Yeah. Like there's some stuff that, like some drinks that have a lot of sugar in them. I just don't have them. Yeah. What's your... Like, one of my friends once, I saw that it was, like, 70-something carbs and a bottle of this big. Yeah. I'm not having that. Yeah, no, you're staying away from that. What's but, your favorite thing to eat that you are allowed to have? Burgers. Burgers. Yeah. That's a pretty good choice. Well, right? This is it. We always say, it like, and people will ask that question, like, what can you have and what can't you have? Like, can Oscar have this? In theory, you can have... Whatever Stuff, you have, whatever you want, as long as you've had the insulin to cover it. Um, but, but we just make choices that you know. Do I need a drink with seventy grams of carbs in it, or am I going to eat a meal for right. seventy grams of carbs? Right, meal, meal, right. <laughs> it like, fills you more exactly. Right. So we make our, our lots of choices in a day to make sure that things are working and that we're keeping ourselves healthy and safe. Right. And as a 10-year-old, that's a whole lot of knowledge to be carrying around, which comes with living with type 1 diabetes. Absolutely. We talk more about this year's Band Against Diabetes, how we can all be a part of it, in studio with Christy Miller and her 10-year-old son, Oscar. Stay with us. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. It is the annual Band Against Diabetes, a fundraiser that began in 2019, survived through the dark years of the pandemic, came back with a big bang, making under just under $26,000 last year, and we're getting set for a repeat performance. Christy Miller is the organizer. She herself diagnosed as an adult with type 1 diabetes. Her son, Oscar, 10 years of age in studio with us as well this morning, diagnosed shortly after birth. How can we support Band Against Diabetes this year, Christy? What is happening and when? Oh, it's so good. So our main event is the Band Against Diabetes concert night. Um, as previously discussed, it's going to be at the Waterloo Legion on Marsland. Uh, we have four bands uh, that are going to be performing that night. 
a huge silent auction. So part of that too is we're always looking for donations for silent auction items or donations for cash straight to our walk page. Um, so that event is going to be Saturday, April 20th at the Legion. Um, tickets are currently being processed. Okay. So we haven't printed them yet. They are on their way, hopefully at the beginning of next week, by late next week. Um, those tickets will be $30 a piece for the band event. Uh, and all the money that we raise from everything that we do all goes to our walk uh, page. The JDRF walk is June 9th. It's a Sunday. Um, this year it's being held in Waterloo Park, which is a venue change, but I'm sure it's going to be lovely with all the renovations out there. It's you can check it spot. out. Yeah. So um, the walk itself is on June 9th. Um, our family will be there along with many other families who do this fundraiser locally. So, um, so yeah, there's lots of things. The main event, April 20th at the Legion. Uh, the walk, June 9th. And actually, before all of that, we've partnered with Spinco Waterloo again this year. Um, Spinco has been an amazing advocate and source for our fundraiser. Uh, they do actually every month, uh, every Friday at 530, they do community classes. So they pick a different charity every month. Um, so, excuse me. So this month uh, at Spinco Waterloo, all the 530 Friday classes for Spin It Forward, all of their funds are going to JDRF and our fundraiser. And we're also holding our own, do you remember this from last year? Our own glow-in-the-dark 80s, 90s spin at Spinco. So there nice. will also be tickets for that available. Um, all of this is coming from the easiest way to follow all of the pieces that are happening uh, is to follow us on Instagram at bandagainstdiabetes.com. Um, and those tickets for the band event, for the Spinco event, and all the information about our walk will all be shared via that source. Oscar's like, what are these 80s and 90s things? I, I was born in 2013. No, like, he loves on. it. He loves it. <laughs> Bright colors, right? Glow in the dark is always cool. Ask yeah. him what his favorite song is right now. Oh. You never know what's going to come out. And what is it? Um, I'm not sure. What? I'm not sure anymore. You owe changes, eh? Yeah. Oh, thought it was a little Rick Astley. It's real popular. Really, again little together days. forever. Oh, are never going to give you up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Corey, but Hart. not anymore. Not anymore. Oh, we've transitioned to Corey Hart now. <laughs> no. Sorry, sunglasses at night. Yes, pretty good song. No, different one again. <laughs> a different one again. Another Corey Hart song. Boy in no. the box. No. Okay, oh. I'll just give up guessing. All right, Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you mentioned Band Against Diabetes yeah. on Instagram, bandagainstdiabetes.com. and you're setting a target of what thirty k this year. Our goal is thirty thousand. So I think I mean I'm I'm confident that we can do this, yep. right? Yep. Oscar, do you like the big party on yes. April the twentieth? Yes, that was pretty quick. That was pretty quick. You like the music, you yes. like the food, all of the things. Yes, <laughs> the bands, all of it. Do, do you have the bands selected already this year? We do. So um, we have. It's actually great. Uh, we have had such great band support. These bands are. Uh, community-based bands, they're local bands. This year we have actually a group of uh, guys that I went to high school with are our headliners this year. Um, they have been around playing this scene for, uh, you know, quite some time, last probably couple decades even in high school. Um, their band name is called Belly Rub. 
It's a new band, you know? They're just reinventing themselves for us. So they'll be there. Um, and three others, we have some acoustic stuff to start the night when people are coming in. Like, it just has been, I don't know. I'm just always a little flabbergasted by... There, well, and... You know, I just, you know, when you have a particularly tough day sometimes, and then when we get this rolling again in the new year, it's like, you know what, people are really good. People are willing to help and donate and share their time. And like we've, we do a lot of talking, obviously, and teaching. So that's our goal. I mean, the end goal is to get rid of this, but in the meantime, to be the face for it and share our experiences and hopefully, you know, make people feel less alone. That's right. And I think when we can put a personal touch like that right. on it, it's Absolutely. what brings out that support. I'm not surprised at all to yeah. hear about it. I think it's great. Yeah. Uh, thank you for what you do, and thanks for making time for the show to continue this tradition we've got here with Band Against Diabetes. Love it. Thank you always for having us, right? And Oscar, yep. I guess we have to get you back to school in time that you can take part in uh, Pancake Tuesday at school today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I wouldn't want you to miss out on that. Any chance I can come with you, because I love me some pancakes, dude. I'm sure you do could. You think, you think I could get into the school? You can bring a guest. Who am I going to... Hey, hey, Devin, you want to finish the show? Devin's our producer. He's giving me the thumbs up. So, okay. we got to cover. We're going. Devin's going to finish the show. I'm going for pancakes with uh, Oscar. Thank you both for being here. Thank you so much. Thanks, Oscar. You're welcome. <laughs> Christy Miller, her son, Oscar. Band Against Diabetes. Find them on Instagram at bandagainstdiabetes and bandagainstdiabetes.com. This is the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570 and Rogers TV. There are a handful of us here at the radio station. I guess when I say there are, I should say, no, if, if, if I'm talking a handful, it should be there is a handful. We have a handful. I worry a lot about being grammatically correct and or incorrect, despite the fact that I use ain't quite frequently and have been chastised for it before. But I, that's just, you know, having some fun with the language. Anyway, there is a handful of us here at the radio station, taking part in the push-up challenge in support of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Waterloo Wellington. Uh, 2,000 push-ups from the 1st of February through to the 23rd. We're doing the best we can. We're getting pro tips on our form. Today's quota is another 99, which I'm glad because as of yesterday, the accumulation of push-ups to date was 666. They might have wanted to reconsider the 666 being a landing point at any given time, if one has any sort of phobia around numbers. Nonetheless, I was very happy to begin working towards today's quota, getting rid of that 666 on my push-up total <laughs> to date in support of the Canadian Mental Health Association. I bring this up because we'll be talking more about it and other initiatives with our friends from CMHA with our monthly mental health check-in. That's coming up in about 30 minutes' time. Right now, it's off to the City News Center for an update, and then the scathing report from the Auditor General on the ArriveCan app here in Canada. How did we go from $80,000 as an estimated cost to almost $60 million being what we actually spent 
developing the app. We'll talk about that next on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. This is where today's topics turn into today's talking points. It's local and it's Democratic radio at its finest. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 most concerning was that the Canada Border Services Agency did not have complete and accurate financial records. Because of this, we were unable to calculate the exact cost of the ArriveCan application. By piecing together available information, we estimated that ArriveCan cost approximately $59.5 million. The Mike Farwell Show continues on City News 570 and Rogers TV Cable 20. And that, of course, is Canada's Auditor General, Karen Hogan, sharing some information yesterday about her just getting... uh, We're we're multitasking here for a moment. All right. And we just got a phone number over to our producer, the guy on the other side of the glass, Devin Robertson, who might be able to help us out. Karen Hogan, the Auditor General of Canada... Uh, sharing information yesterday, what information she was able to share about the ArriveCan app and all of the questions that have been asked surrounding it. Dare I say, this has boiled over to the point of almost full-fledged scandal again for the federal government. And I do say again because I think it is fair to say when it comes to the number of times we have found this government unable to explain itself for a variety of reasons. In this case, we're talking about an app that was originally estimated to cost $80,000. We could argue about how accurate that estimate may have been. Nonetheless, that's what the price tag originally listed was going to be. And the next thing you know, we end up with what the Auditor General determines to be somewhere in the neighborhood of $59.5 million. Cormac McSweeney is our Parliament Hill Bureau Chief, joins us for a conversation. Good morning, Cormac. Good morning. What do you make of what we heard from Karen Hogan yesterday? Well, you know, there was a lot of mismanagement that was happening in regards to the development of the Arrive Can app. In fact, Uh, She said it was one of the worst cases of record-keeping that she has ever seen in her many years. I think she's been decades in the auditing industry, and uh, I think four years now as our Auditor General, and she's never really seen anything like this. Um, Really a scathing report talking about how contracts were handed out, then subcontracts. It's not really clear who was doing the work, how much some of it was for, why it was being done. This is a contract that was initially set at just over $2 million. Uh, it's ballooned to the point where she now pegs the cost to the government at just under $60 million. Um, not only is she talking about the bad record-keeping that was going on, she pointed out that some officials from the Canada Border Services Agency, uh, she found no evidence that they were disclosing the fact that they were going to dinners and uh, whiskey-tasting events uh, being held by contractors who got these contracts. One of the main contractors, GC Strategies, helped develop the criteria, the narrow criteria for a contract that it was later awarded. 
Um, and there, there were also a number of issues around the testing of this app for something uh, that would be so important and used by so many people uh, that it seemed there was a serious lack of testing going on behind the scenes and then a lack of clearance as well for people who were handling sensitive information for Canadians. So really just uh, a scathing report about how this was all being handled and, of course, uh, some political fallout as a result of all of this. And that political fallout is something I'm also curious about here. Cormac, you've been around the Hill for quite some time. How damning is this for the federal government? Well, the thing is that this report found no political involvement in the sense of politicians ordering something or doing something bad. Now, I will point out as an asterisk, we don't have the full story here yet. Um, The Auditor General and uh, the Ombudsman for Procurement, who also released a a report within the last week or so, uh, have both said that, you know, there are other investigations going on and they can't impede on the work of those other investigations. Those investigations are an internal one being held by the uh, CBSA, the Canada Border Services Agency, and that case has since been referred to the RCMP. So multiple investigations going on on this. We don't have the full story, but so far there are no political links. So that sort of separates the government from um, what could have been, uh, you know, bad practices at the very least, potentially could be something more. Who knows what the result of the investigations by the RCMP and the CBSA around the actions of some officials. Um, and we don't know for sure exactly what the RCMP is looking into. They don't talk about their investigations while they're going through them. But we do know that they're taking a look at this because of the referral from the CBSA. So there's a lot more going on here. So there's a bit of separation for the government. The government yesterday, uh, Public Safety Minister Dominic LeBlanc was saying, look, the moment we heard that there was something fishy going on, something didn't smell right here, uh, we launched an internal investigation. When we saw cost ballooning, um, we took action to try and address this right away, and it's it's being dealt with by two bodies who are investigating this. Anybody who did anything wrong will be held to account. So that's their line. The Conservatives, on the other hand, and the NDP are both attacking the Liberals. And, you know, whether you get into the nitty-gritty or not on this, um, the headlines will say the Conservatives and NDP see this as another failure for the Liberal government. You hear about all the procurement problems going on uh, within the government on this, and uh, it's not going to be a good look for the government regardless, especially if you're already believing that the Arrive Can app was a faulty, unnecessary thing to begin with, which a lot of conservative supporters believe. And so this is going to be a problem for them politically. Um, and, and I think we'll find out more as the investigations from the CBSA, which should wrap up this spring, and the RCMP conclude. Yeah, on procurement, Cormac, I think you touch on something that's really important in this process because we've heard an awful lot about it in terms of even the amount of contracting out that's been done by this federal regime compared to previous regimes. And this is at a time when the civil service itself is growing rather exponentially in terms of the number of people working for the federal government, yet we're still using procurement to get so many things done. Yeah, and there's there's two levels of argument on that. So there's the general consulting outside work that gets brought in um, in terms of professional services. I think that's the technical term that they use within government is professional services. So outside contractors, essentially. Um, and, and, you know, the consulting aspect of it with McKinsey and all of that, 
uh, that's been an issue. And the Auditor General says, you know, there's going to be more to come on this. I'm, I'm, in, I'm looking into this right now, doing an audit about those professional services. So that report, which will likely be out later this year, it will be another uh, time for us to look at this and examine how much the government does this uh, and, and how widespread and how necessary it is. Um, and so there's there's one aspect about, you know, getting consultants to make decisions and things like that. There's another aspect for harder services like developing an app. Um, you know, should it be the government's job to be in the app development world is another question. And th- this applies for many other things as well. Um, and so the question is, do we have the resources or is it more cost efficient to contract out those services rather than creating a whole department, let's say, for creating apps for the government or something like that. Uh, Pierre Polyev says, you know, we should be doing this on our own and we should be cutting down on these outside resources and the money we save from that we can use to do this all in-house. Um, you know, and there, I believe the NDP was also sort of pushing for an expansion of public service to try and deal with this as well. Uh, there is an argument as well that we've heard from the government that not everything is, is so black and white and that sometimes, you know, it is better and more efficient and more cost effective to reach out to the experts on this to make sure that we get an app that actually works or something like that. Obviously, in the ArriveCan situation, this is not what happened. There was bad procurement practices, uh, problems with testing, a lot of issues that popped up with this app while it was being used and serious concerns being flagged here. So there's a serious problem that needs to be addressed. The Liberals say they'll address the gap in management issues that have popped up, but it's going to definitely lead to a larger policy debate about how we handle these situations. It's, uh, really appreciate your work, Cormac. Thanks for making time on the show. Anytime, Mike. Cormac McSweeney, our Parliament Hill Bureau Chief with City News, and sums it all up really well. The big question I still have, and I can, I'm open to the argument that it would cost you less instead of building the infrastructure into our federal civil service, Let's farm out things like app development. I, I can buy into that. But when you start at an $80,000 $80, estimate and you end up at $59.5 million, I'm not buying it anymore. I just, I don't get it. It's mismanagement to the extreme. And, and I generally speaking, and I've brought this up before, and this just demonstrates very visibly how it's come to a head. We've got a civil service that has ballooned It's up by about 30-plus percent, if I remember my numbers, Uh, since 2015. The increase in staff working for the federal government has increased about 30%, and yet we're farming out more work than we ever have before. I can't make that make sense. But boy, oh boy, does it sound like a whole lot of money is being pissed away. Pardon my French. We'll take your calls right after this. On the Mike Farwell Show, this is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Obviously, in the ArriveCan situation, there was bad procurement practices, problems with testing, a lot of issues that popped up with this app while it was being used, and serious concerns being flagged here. So there's a serious problem that needs to be addressed. Liberals say they'll address the gap in management issues that have popped up, but it's going to definitely lead to a larger policy debate about how we handle these situations. Cormac McSweeney, our Parliament Hill Bureau Chief for City News, joining us to talk about the Arrive Can app, or as some have begun calling it, Arrive Scam. $80,000 the estimate, $59.5 million the estimated cost, and that's even after trying to sift through all of the bad management practices that our Auditor General, Karen Hogan, found let's go to the phones here from you on this joel good morning 
morning, Mike. Uh, just this, this is just another example of, uh, you know, the poor management from this government. And I've kind of followed this to some degree online with some of the uh, committee hearings they've had uh, in Ottawa. And the fact that the, the liberal government kind of, I mean, they walk out on sessions, they shut down questioning period and committee, and, and they know how unethical this was, and they're just trying to, you know, shove it under the rug with, you know, so many other scandals. And I think people are really picking up on that now, and that's, you know, why the polls are the way they are right now. So- well, oh, I'm sorry, Joel. I don't disagree that the there is a f- sense of fatigue <laughs> with this government. There's no question. There's frustration with the leader. I, I don't know that they're trying to sweep anything under the rug. I mean, this stuff is coming out, and it just keeps... It, from where I'm sitting, compounding on the government right now. Paul, good morning. Morning, how you doing? I'm all right. You know, <clears throat> yes, sweeping it under the rug. you got to keep in mind, we're talking liberals here, and liberals know what works, and they always go back to the same thing. The, uh, they're calling it uh, Arrive Scam now. Uh, a couple of years ago, it was called Ad Scam. Maybe you're familiar with that. Hi, th- good. I forgot about that. Well, not I didn't forget about it, but yes, good uh, yeah. comparison. Okay, so, so they, it's basically the exact same thing where the Liberal government pays, <clears throat> pardon me, pays companies to do nothing, and then they bring uh, Liberal Party supporters, whatever, uh, into their payroll, or they refund the money back. Uh, back then, it was a lot easier. They could just donate the money straight back to the Liberal Party. But, you know, it's worked in the past. Why not do it again? Now, of course, if it worked in the past, let's double up on it. Because back in the... Uh, uh, during the whole ad scam thing, they had the uh, Gomery Commission investigating into all the corruption that was going on in the Liberal Party, the commission's entire budget for their investigation was only $14 million. That's what the commission spent to investigate it. How much is the next commission going to cost to investigate the missing $50, $60 million? And, you know, in the end, the Gourmet Commission, uh, basically, if if you go to uh, go to Wikipedia, you go to uh, uh, sponsorship scandal or ad, uh, ad scam and whatnot, and all you have to do is take John Chrétien's name and substitute Justin Trudeau, and it will read exactly the same. And then when they go through and they say, who is responsible, the uh, <clears throat> all the top, uh, all the top dogs, now... They're not responsible. Throw the bottom ones uh, under the bus, uh, the liberal campaign bus, and, uh, you know, just drive right over them because that's what it's all about. All right, Paul. I, I got to run because I, I got to get to more calls and a quick commercial break. But y- your point on commissions, inquiries, committee hearings, and the escalating cost around those, I think we're all getting pretty tired of hearing about more of those, too aren't we? We'll take a break, come back with more of your calls on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV. Eleven twenty-eight. a couple of minutes away from your update in the City News Centre. Right back to the phones we go. Des, thanks for waiting. Good morning. 
Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? Doing very well. Good. Um, I was listening to your program. It's the first time I've called. I've listened for quite some time. and I don't have a, a political affiliation, so I, I really don't have a horse in that race, nor am I commenting. But what I do have a tremendous amount of experience is these application development builds, right? It's something that I do for a living in IT. Um, and I can tell you that from a very preliminary perspective, very basic or foundational side, there's a, a complete breakdown here because uh, I've heard what is reported as the applications ranged, uh, the original amount for the application development was $80,000. Um, you know, that that is ridiculously low. That, that was never realistic to begin with, and I'm sure that was a bait kind of a bait and switch right out of the gate. Um, but when you look into this just very simplistically, Mike, where the organization that you're looking with, that the government was looking at building this application, had a grand total of uh, what has been reported as two employees, then dollar signs happen because they're just going to bring in many, many contractors on the back end, and this is going to balloon. So very from a very basic level, um, you know, there there was tremendous amount that was dropped, and and we see this far too often where, uh, you're, you know, uh, not pressing on this government, I've seen it with other governments too, where, you know, they, they just have no real accountability around um, the cost and the scope change. Really good analysis, Des. Uh, appreciate you calling in, and don't be a stranger, okay? <laughs> Will do. You take care. <laughs> Thanks, you too. You know how we feel about our first-time callers around here. Yeah! We absolutely love them. And Des, I think, really hits a nail on the head when you talk about sourcing something out to a company that only has two employees. How do you think it's going to do the work? Well, it's going to subcontract even more of that work. And there you go, from 80000 which was ridiculously low, to $59.5 million on the ArriveCan app. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, this is not just any old Tuesday. It is February the 13th, the day before Valentine's Day, I will grant you, but also the second Tuesday of the month of February. And on the second Tuesday of every month at 1130, we have a conversation with our friends from the Canadian Mental Health Association of Waterloo, Wellington, We call it our monthly mental health check-in. And Helen Fishburne is the CEO of CMHA. Waterloo Wellington joins us for the monthly chat. Helen, good morning. Good morning, Mike. Always great to be with you. I always look forward to these conversations as well. And today, one of the things we get to talk about is a partnership that CMHA has with the Ontario Hockey League. We've got a Rangers game tonight that I think everybody is excited about with the Guelph Storm coming to Kitchener, and in just a couple of weeks, it'll be the Talk Today game with CMHA. Yeah, we love this partnership, Mike. Um, You will recall, because you are very close to the Rangers and do such a great job supporting them, uh, in, you know, 10 years ago, we experienced some deaths by suicide um, in the OHL family. These young players dealing with significant pressure, performance, you know, challenges, you know, needing to constantly perform and live up to very high expectations themselves, others. 
and we were really concerned about some trends that we were seeing um, and wanting to change the culture and change the conversation in hockey. We have really worked hard to do that through the Talk Today program. This is our 10th year. Uh, through this program, which is all about raising awareness, giving players and coaches and training staff the skills and education and, you know, really the the hands-on tools to how to have this conversation, to raise awareness and, and to really, ch- as I said, change the culture in the dressing room and, and outside of it as well. But through this program, we have trained 1,800 OHL players, 575 coaches, billets, and staff, uh, and we're we're going to continue. We're keeping going, but we are so so proud of this partnership and the way we've been embraced uh, by teams like the Kitchener Rangers. We're going to look forward to seeing you and the team from CMHA Waterloo Wellington at the game uh, next Friday night, the twenty third of February. I'm a huge uh, proponent of this program for obvious reasons. You talk about that pressure that these young players are under, Helen, and I. I think it's so important to remind folks of that because as fans, we get so passionate, we get so excited, and that's understandable and that's okay, but we have to also recognize the pressure. If we get that excited as fans, think of the pressure those young men on the ice are feeling. Absolutely. I mean, young men who, many of whom are living away from their family for the first time, living in a billet family, going to a different school, you know, you you get pulled away from your own natural support networks, right? And naturally have to develop new networks and, and have this new awareness under these incredibly intense pressure. It's, you know, any OHL player would tell you it's a goal that they've had their whole lives probably, and it's the peak of success for them and they're so proud of that but it comes with that pressure so we want to help them manage it and and manage it with supports rather than taking that pressure internal and and and, uh, really having it become a dark something that's dark we want to help them manage it in a way that it is something positive so connected to this helen talk today the partnership with the ontario hockey league and how cmha Waterloo Wellington will be a part of the game next Friday with the Rangers on February the 23rd. There is another program worth mentioning, especially today, because today today just happens to be Ag Day in Canada for yeah. agriculture. And this is something else that I think is so important. I've been reading a little more about recently the mental health of our rural workers, our farming community. Yeah, interesting tie-in to these two two programs too, Mike, because Syngenta and the Grain Farmers of Ontario are actually corporate sponsors for the Talk Today program, which is amazing. And they've also recognized, the farming community, that they have their own risk issues, right? When you look at farming today, you know, when you think of climate change, when you think of changing trends in the workforce in terms of what kind of work our our younger generation wants to do and doesn't want to do, when you think of the isolation and the pressure that our farmers have and carry to feed their family under such a changing environment, um, they're at risk as well, right? And very much like we just identified for our OHL players, our farmers are also struggling with that pressure and also feel that isolation um, and and they, and they carry that worry. So we have our own program through the CMHA family called In the Know, which is really about, you know, creating that awareness, opening that conversation, breaking down the barriers, 
creating a network of care and support to, to battle that isolation. And then, of course, we partner with amazing organizations like Agricultural Wellness Ontario and Farmer Wellness and Guardian Network. So it really is uh, a really wonderful opportunity to reach into our farming community. And, you know, you want to talk about pressures again. We talk about it with the young hockey players, especially all of the things outside of the pressure of winning a game that weighs on them. You just alluded to the isolation that many farmers can feel uh, because, you know, they're, they're working large plots of land, often by themselves, not to mention there are so many factors outside of their control that can contribute to stresses on them, and that, of course, being the weather. They've got to bring in the whatever it is they're farming, the grain, the, the product, to feed themselves to keep their own farm running, but also they feel a responsibility for feeding a community, too. Absolutely. Uh, all of those layers and more. And again, adding to that, and very much like uh, what we just talked about with the OHL, the culture, right? The culture, which has been a barrier uh, to actually having people identify, talk about the stress, share um, the pressure that they feel, and really get people talking and communicating and connecting with each other. You know, honestly, stigma, might continues to be our biggest barrier, right, in mental health. Even though we've done a ton of work to remove those barriers and to break through them, they still exist, and they are particularly entrenched in some communities, and this is why we are focusing so hard to reach our farming community, to change that culture, and to really open up those doors, and we're getting some great support within the farming community, which has been amazing. I love to hear it. So In the Know is the program designed specifically for farmers. We've got talk yes. today in the Ontario Hockey League. Before I let you go, I just wanted to proudly share and brag. I'm going to brag, Helen. You, but... you better brag. You've got bragging rights on this, Mike. Well, and not to mention you're completely ripped now, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's the, that's the wonders of being involved in the push-up challenge. But just before, I kid you not, we started talking. I got down on the floor here in the studio. I like to do my push-ups every day in manageable chunks. So I did Another set of 20, that was my fourth set today, giving me 80 of the 99, which is our daily quota. But this is all really about the push-up challenge, doing 2,000 push-ups this month to recognize the 20% of Canadians that will battle a mental illness this year. Yeah, I I have to be completely honest with you, Mike. This uh, push-up challenge has been one of the greatest surprises for us. We never thought for one minute that people would embrace push-ups and push through that discomfort the way they have. I want to give you a huge thank you. You and Team On Air Flair, you're <laughs> the, the team behind you, first of all, for embracing this, for sharing it so beautifully on social media and in, in many of your on-air interviews. Um, we've had so many people and enjoy, appreciate, and push through the discomfort of this challenge. And at the same time, as you know, receive really important and interesting information about mental health and how it impacts Canadians. I'm proud to say, Mike, we've had over 869 people participating. CMHA Waterloo-Wellington has raised over $50,000 because of this initiative. That's like we, awesome. We are honestly bowled over. 50,000. Is, is, that's oh, an incredible... 50, yeah. 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 I mean, Team On Air Flare brought in $544 so far. Again, absolutely amazing. We are so grateful 
to you guys, but collectively over 50,000 just for Waterloo Wellington. It's it's been such a wonderful surprise and uh and we're we're just absolutely tickled pink about this. <laughs> the only thing Helen and and far be it from me to quibble with you, but the only thing I might quibble on is quote unquote embracing the push up. I'm embracing <laughs> the support for the Canadian Mental Health Association 100%. I don't know yet that I've embraced the push up, but we're we are pushing through and we're having some fun here at the station doing it. And so. you know what? That that's half of it, right? Because we're talking <laughs> about it. There, there's definitely some pain associated with it. You know, we'd be happy to support your physio bill, Mike, if you need to go <laughs> and get some work done. But honestly, you know, the, the pain of the push up and the discomfort and pushing through it. The sense of accomplishment, right, that you feel, and then being able to share that. You share the pain, you share the discomfort, you've been corrected on your form. I have, exactly. (laughs) There are so many things that we can learn through this challenge, and then it translates, right, into the the mental health journey and the way that, that we're connecting, that we're sharing that discomfort, that we're literally pushing through and learning, and, of course, raising some funds uh, $50,000, over 50000 here locally. It's just been so heartwarming. Thanks for being the catalyst for that good. And we're still pushing towards that $1,000 goal as a team. So we're not done yet with our fundraising. Keep going. We I will for it. sure. Helen, thank you again for being here. Thanks, Mike. Talk to you soon, and we'll see you on the 23rd. Can't wait. Looking forward to it. Bye-bye for Bye. now. Helen Fishburne is the CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Waterloo Wellington, the Talk Today program with the Ontario Hockey League. In the Know, a mental health literacy program designed specifically for farmers. And how about that push-up challenge that has raised more than $50,000 right here in the Waterloo-Wellington area for the Canadian Mental Health Association? Today's quota of push-ups being 99. And what you do learn from doing this, it's a really well-organized campaign. 99 represents how helping people can actually make you happier. Canadians gave $9.9 billion to their favorite causes in 2018. And science shows that helping others is good for our mental health. Push-ups are good for our physical health, which by extension is good for our mental health. And it has been a really interesting journey for these past couple of weeks. Not only learning these little tidbits every day about mental health and why we're doing a certain number of push-ups, but getting some support for our push-up form to make sure we're not cheating ourselves or anybody else, you can follow along on our social media pages, the Facebook page, facebook.com slash the Mike Farwell Show, or on Instagram at Farwell underscore WR. Helen Fishburne, the CEO of the Canadian Mental Health Association, Waterloo Wellington, joins us every second Tuesday of every month at 11.30 on the Mike Farwell Show. This is City News 570 and Rogers TV.
So, random question, but it's been on my mind for a little bit now. You you probably heard the story uh, last week at some point where the region of Waterloo is looking for a partner with which to build some affordable housing on land on Highland Road, not far from Iron Needles, which I think is great because obviously we know the housing crisis that we are currently enduring and the supply that we absolutely need to bring on board. Not to mention that in this particular case, we're talking about a project that is designated affordable housing. So that's pretty cool. And the fact that the region is or has identified surplus land upon which to create this affordable housing. My question is this, and it's been bouncing around in that empty space between my ears since I first heard the story last week. Why isn't this one of the build now projects? You remember build now, right? More than six months ago, back in July of 2023, we heard about this pretty cool initiative. People from across the community elected officials, the development and construction community, uh, nonprofits concerned with affordable housing. We're all at the table talking about this bold vision to build 10,000 attainable units. Basically, to sum it up, half-price housing, because everybody was taking their own profit out of it, and the idea was to create 10,000 units of housing that people could attain in this community based on wages. And so there was that announcement, and basically to follow that announcement, it was, hey, if you've got the land that we can use to build on, we want to hear from you. And that would be somebody, obviously private, that would be willing to donate the land or a municipality. And so there we were last week. The region says, we've got this surplus land. We're looking for a partner for affordable housing. Why? Why is this not a build now Initiative. Why isn't this the beginning? Because we haven't heard a tinker's darn about progress on those 10,000 units yet. Why isn't this the first of them? Inquiring minds want to know, or maybe it's just my mind, but it's been kind of bouncing around in between my ears these last few days. I thought I'd share it with you. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and Rogers TV. Well, I definitely want to hear your views on the news of the day coming up in the next 60 minutes. The 12 o'clock talkback hour is about to commence as we wind things down with Rogers TV Cable 20 for another day. So thank you to Robert and the entire team for producing the TV side of this show. We open the phone lines and let you steer the conversation in the 60 minutes ahead. The 12 o'clock talkback hour is about to begin. Right now, an update from the City News Center. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570 and so long, Rogers TV. Take out the papers and the trash. Just finish cleaning up your room. Let's see that dust I will.
Well, in fact, this is the hour of radio that we do every day where you are encouraged to do exactly the opposite. It's not don't talk back, and I recognize the double negative there. In fact, it is the talk back hour. 519-570-2545. Star 570. And 1-800-570-5715. We have a lot of interesting things going on locally, not the least of which is an arrest and charges laid in connection to a stabbing, a fatal stabbing in Uptown Waterloo uh, early last fall. We have that story we can talk about locally. We have Cambridge City Council wrestling with its budget today, the proposed increase north of 5%, and the mayor of Cambridge telling us last week there's no room, there's no fat left to cut in this particular budget. We have the city of Waterloo, which last evening passed a budget north of 6% by way of increase and will increase taxes 20% in the next three years, a number that you know I'm uncomfortable with. I've said this before. I think it's a little bit of, uh, it's, I think it's a little out of touch with reality here in the community. Only Councillor Hans Roach voted against that budget proposal last night. And I listened in on the deliberations at Waterloo Council. I'll share with you through this hour some of what we heard by way of rationale for the increases that are being placed upon us. And look, I get it. There's two sides. I'm of the side that says you got to set a target and that target should be inflation. And if you use that as a starting point, you might have a better outcome. But that's just me. That's the way I would do it. And of course, federally, we have that damning report from the Auditor General on the money spent to create the Arrive Can app. And if you missed any of that, it's a pretty compelling story told by Karen Hogan, our Federal Auditor General. I have to say that I am deeply concerned by what this audit didn't find. We didn't find records to accurately show how much was spent on what, who did the work, or how and why contracting decisions were made. And that paper trail should have existed. Overall, this audit shows a glaring disregard for basic management and contracting practices throughout ArriveCAN's development and implementation. Most concerning was that the Canada Border Services Agency did not have complete and accurate financial records. Because of this, we were unable to calculate the exact cost of the ArriveCAN application. By piecing together available information, we estimated that ArriveCAN cost approximately $59.5 million. Also concerning, we found evidence that GC Strategies was involved in the development of requirements that were used when the agency later moved to a competitive process to award a $25 million contract for work on the ArriveCAN app. The requirements were very specific and narrow. This gave GC Strategies an advantage that other potential bidders did not have. We also found that the Canada Border Services Agency's overall management of contracts was very poor. Essential information was missing from awarded contracts, such as clear deliverables and the qualifications required of workers. When we looked at invoices approved by the agency, details about the work performed and who did the work 
were often missing. This greatly contributed to our conclusion that the best value for money was not achieved. Isn't that putting it mildly, the best value for money was not achieved? Federal Auditor General Karen Hogan with what she knows so far and shared with us about the ArriveCan app. Let's go to the phones on this 12 o'clock talkback hour. Ron, good afternoon. Hey, Farwell. So how's your stinky dog doing? My stinky dog was doing pretty well when I left the house this morning. Thank you. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I know that you complained about how bad it was. <laughs> I that. Well, you know, Ron, in, in all honesty, it wasn't even so much the dog as it was just being so near to the expulsion of whatever that horrid stuff is that a skunk expels. Like, I get it, and I've smelled skunk before. I've just never smelled it like that. I've never been so close to the spray zone before. Oh, Okay, well, I got some stories in for you um, about skunks, and you should find this interesting. Okay. So I used to live in Mississauga, and uh, my sister was outside on the phone talking to one of her friends, and a skunk came up to her. She could not smell it. And all it was doing was rubbing across her feet, back and forth, back and forth. He was on the phone, like I said, and then she just went silent, and her friend was wondering what the heck was going on. And about the skunk left after five minutes, but she's like, there was no smell to the skunk. We found out that someone actually owns that skunk and had the skunk pack. No, no, no. From what? It. Owns a skunk? Yeah. Ron! Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. my gosh. That's crazy. <laughs> Yeah, well, he owned it as a pet, and uh, yeah, he got out of his house one day, and that was the skunk. <laughs> that is, no, no, I would never, not a chance. I wouldn't trust that the, the whatever those glands are that the skunk uses to get rid of that, I would not trust it. No way. <laughs> <laughs> and then recently, about, oh, I'd say about four years ago, my sister got skunked. Her husky uh, got too close to a bush, and there was a skunk in there. And, yeah, sprayed her husky. Uh, let's just put it this way. That husky was crying and everything else. But to get a husky cleaned and washed of skunk smell is almost impossible because of the amount of hair the dog has on it. Yep. It took about, oh, I think about three weeks before my sister got all the skunk smell out of him. Yeah, it was a... Yeah, yeah. It was a, so, yeah. Yeah, skunks are not great. And um, to mention that I think we might have a skunk that lives near our house because we see it every so often walking around our property. So we think it might have made a hole somewhere near our property. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Be careful, Ron. Walk carefully, my friend. All right. Yep. Bye. Thanks for the call. Appreciate it. And thanks for checking in on Rosie the Pandemic Pup. Just the sweetest little thing she is. And I think we're lucky. She's mostly husky, a little bit of boxer in her. Uh, I would call her mid-size. She's about 55 pounds, so not a, you know, not one of the larger huskies, but does have that longer hair. So she was outside, obviously, when that happened. We kept her outside, and she got her first bath with vinegar. She got a second bath, all of this at home, with something that we read about online from the Humane Society, hydrogen peroxide mixed with baking soda mixed with dish soap. And she got bathed in that. And then we were so lucky that our friends at Forever Loved Pet Salon on Victoria Street were able to get her in yesterday because there was a cancellation. And then she got the professional skunk off treatment and they were great with her. 
Uh, and they even they shared with me when I picked her up yesterday that and and they gave me a a bag of uh, dog hair that had been collected from the salon. They said if you spread this around where you think the skunk may be hanging out, it would deter the skunk from staying. So I did that. Got my hockey stick out and <laughs> good use for my hockey stick that hasn't been used for hockey in a while. And got that stuff pushed right under the deck as best I could and trying to do whatever we could. Rosie smells lovely today. The hardest part for me and what I was complaining about most yesterday, I'm so lucky. You know, Ron said that the husky that he knew was crying after being sprayed. Somehow, some way, Rosie got her face out of the way of this. Her eyes were unaffected as best as I can tell. And she wasn't crying or whimpering or anything like that. One of the hardest things for me and my beloved is we were, it just was so recent that the skunk had sprayed while we were outdoors trying to deal with the dog. I I still don't feel like my sinus cavity, my nostrils are back to normal. Better today than yesterday, but I feel like all I can smell is skunk. And by extension, I feel like I still smell like skunk because we were outdoors on the back deck in the aftermath of whatever that unholy odor was. And it just it just seeps into your pores. We were warned by our friends at Forever Loved Pet Salon yesterday that when Rosie gets wet next time, you may notice that this oil reacts again and you start smelling more skunk. So maybe Rosie will become an indoor dog. We'll just see how that all works out for us. But she's doing much better today. Thank you. This is your 12 o'clock talkback hour. We do it every day from noon until 1 on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. You call, we listen, and you get to steer the conversation about whatever it is that's on your mind. Because let's face it, they give me four hours a day in this studio, and I speak my mind all the ding-dang time. So you get the chance to do the same. 519-570-2545, star 570, and 1-800-570-5715. Grant, good afternoon. Hello, Grant. Paging Grant. I don't know where Grant went. I miss you, Grant. Sometimes when I pick up the phone, if it's the Grant, there are a couple of Grants that call. We don't give out Grants easily on this show. you got to earn your Grants, you know? But we have a couple of Grants who call, and one of them, he sometimes starts with a sinister little laugh that makes me somewhat nervous. Maybe he was planning something sinister and has gone back to formulate his plan a little more carefully. Grant, if you call back, we'll put you at the top of the list. Right now, we go to Mike instead. Mike, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. I just uh, was, uh, you know, on your five things earlier in the show. Yes. You brought up the point about the 6.1% sure did. tax increase from the city of Waterloo. I have a mother right now who's in their upper 80s, right? And the taxes and the services and everything, pre-tax income, it's now 16, 17% of our, just to pay the city and regional taxes. That's outrageous. I, I do not see how you can justify, I can see how you can justify it for one, maybe two years to have something above the rate of inflation. But this council seems to not be able to ha- act fiscally responsible. Uh, they have their own pet projects. 
We had the speed reduction and stuff like that. They went against the recommendation of the citizens. And they appear to uh, kowtow to the special interests and also uh, their pet projects. When you look at the council makeup, the only one who has any real-world business experience is Diane Freeman. The rest of them are activists. And I'm sorry, Mike, my mom can't and I can't afford um, 6.1% tax increases when we're only getting 2 3% raises in the private sector. I can't afford um, gold-plated pension plans when mine was taken away uh, during a takeover. Mike, we cannot keep going over the rate of inflation on tax increases just to do pet projects, and that's what I have to say today. All right, Mike, I appreciate the call. And listen, I, I get where you're coming from, and I'll remind you, I, I shared a clip from Ward 5 Councillor Jen Vasek, who broke it down, and broke it down really well, that the tax increase being proposed works out to 8 to $9-ish per month over the next three years. And she's not wrong about that at all. What I think gets missed is that it's this 8 or $9 a month on top of the increases to other taxes, on top of how much more it costs us to put food on the table, on top of, on top of, on top of. And, and I hope that's given careful consideration. I'm not sure. And I always find myself wondering lately because I used to feel about as middle class as you could get. I'm being brutally honest with you. I don't feel that way anymore. I, because when the bills get paid at the end of the month, I and maybe that's asking too much, I guess, because I still can pay the bills. But I, I felt like the the contract was, you know, you, you pay your bills, you go to work, you pay your bills, you, you squirrel a little bit away, you maybe pay for the kids' education, you might take a vacation now and again, and I'm just I'm just wondering where that part comes in. Maybe the contract has changed. And that's just, I find myself wondering quite often with the rationale shared, you know, it's only $8 or $9 a month. Yeah, but what about on top of this and on top of that? And I, and I, I honestly do wonder what the economic realities are for our municipal councillors. We know they don't get paid a lot to do their jobs because it's a part-time job. So how are they making it work? I don't know, but it makes me curious. That's all. We'll take a break. Come back with more. It's the 12 o'clock talkback hour on the Mike Farwell Show, City News 570. Let's get right back to the phone lines so we can hear from you. Dave, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mr. Farwell. Just wondering two questions. Our beloved Rangers, what do they need to do to get back on track? And second question is, Stop. Does Sopper stay on the first line? That's it. All right, Dave. Thanks for the call. Uh, Sopper, Matt Sop, has been second line mostly. Short answer, yes, he stays in the top six from where I'm sitting, uh, and rightly so. What do the Rangers need to do to get back on track? Uh, they need a win. They need a win in the worst way. Maybe that win will come tonight versus Guelph, and the team can start feeling some better feels. Three games at home this week. No better time to get back on track for the Kitchener Rangers. John, good afternoon. Mike, it's Hespler Johnny. Hespler Johnny, my man. It's been a while. Listen, I got uh, just a comment about the Survive Can app. 
I've said it before, what does a government get involved in that they don't really mess up? And they did a good job of that. You know that I travel a bit. I went across the border four times there with this ArriveCan app. And every time I came back to Canada, when I got to the border, and they asked me if I downloaded the ArriveCan app, I told them I didn't have a phone. And they were all a little skeptical about that because obviously I do have a phone. But they let me in the country uh, as long as I had a passport and a little sheet of paper that said I'd been vaccinated. It wasn't a problem. So the whole thing was a complete waste of time and money. All right, Johnny. Appreciate the call. Hard to disagree. From $80,000 as a projected cost to $59.5 million, the estimated cost from what the Auditor General can gather. It's a mess, to be sure. Got to get you to the City News Centre for an update. Jason, Kyle, hang on, and there's a line open for you on the 12 o'clock talkback hour. This is the Mike Farwell Show on City News. Let's get right back to the phones and continue hearing from you on this 12 o'clock talkback hour. Jason, it's your turn. Good afternoon. Hi, Mike. This is the last time you're going to hear me talk about Bill 124. I'm thankful that the uh, courts, the appeal court, upheld the uh, original court's uh, decision that Bill 124 was on unconstitutional. You know, it's disappointing to, uh, to know that this government spent a lot of money um, in court cases, instead of just paying um, our nurses and healthcare professionals and teachers what they probably should have been paid all along. Um, but I just want to add one final thing. I know uh, Bonnie Crombie came out yesterday, you know, applauding the decision as well. It was her government, oh, sorry, it was the previous Liberal government that actually imposed a 0% wage uh, wage uh, restraint on healthcare workers. Specifically, I, I come from healthcare. I'm talking about healthcare uh, back in the uh, mid-2000s. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's all fine and dandy to blame the government of the current day. But just remember, your government did the same thing. And, you know, we'll never get back what we didn't get for those three years. 1%, you know, over comp, you know, compound that over the course of time, you know, we should be making a little bit more than we are right now. But, uh, you know, kudos for the uh, for the uh, the courts and sticking up for workers in this province. Thanks, Jason. Kudos to you for continuing to stick up for them as well. We hear from you often on these issues. The only thing I'm going to add, and I promise I add this without malice, but Jason said healthcare workers, nurses, teachers getting paid what they deserve. If we're being honest. And we look at the salaries. I'm not saying it's an unimportant job. Teaching is a very important job. We ask a lot of teachers. I think, in fairness, if we're being honest, the salary already being earned is a pretty damn fine one. Not to mention the benefits that come with it. I know there are a lot of other people within the educational system. I'm talking about salaried full-time teachers And we can get into the whole conversation about how much we spend on education with multiple school boards and all of the administration, the layers of administration in this province. But I'll just leave it there for now, adding my two cents after Jason's two cents. Continuing the 12 o'clock talk back with Kyle. Hello, Kyle. Hello. I'm going to give you my two cents on yesterday's uh, game against Toronto versus Ottawa and the uh, 
final four seconds of the game with the slap shot. That was on Saturday. What are you saying yesterday? Saturday. You know what? Holy Hannah, Kyle. Where have you been? You go to sleep, Rip Van Winkle? Hold on a second. What what day is it today? Today's Tuesday already. Oh, today's Tuesday. Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, can I just... I'm going to say it anyway. I saw the video yesterday for the first time, and I'm going to say both sides are at fault. I think... And you have to look at it not as a Toronto fan, not as an Ottawa fan, but as a fan in general. Yes, did the Ottawa guy showboat slap shot in the net? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Something that should have been done? Probably not. But at the same time, Toronto showboated coming into that game thinking they're going to win and had this cockiness with them that they, that they were going to take this team on. And at the end of the day, Toronto's walking away with zero points and Ottawa's walking in with three. Right, and I don't know what did you do. We know what he, he got suspended for seventeen games or six games, or do you know? Do we know what the outcome of that was yet, or not yet? How did how did Ottawa walk away with three points? Out of curiosity, they won, did they not? It's two points for a win, Kyle. What is the soccer now? All of a sudden, what is oh with God. you today? I, I <laughs> you know why? It's because you're a fan of the team that shall not be named. You have no clue. You know what? I'm done. That's it. I just hung up on Kyle. Nonsense! It happened last night. It happened Saturday. You get three points for a win. No, you don't. Kyle, he's a fan of the team that shall not be named. Uh, I'm just going to say this, and I know that this will be this will not be universally popular. But I'm going to say this first of all: Kyle is absolutely right. You don't show up your opponent that way. Taking a slap shot into an empty net is a punk move. Period. Full stop. Disrespect of the opponent. Very unsportsmanlike. And if I was playing against you, and you took a slap shot into an empty net to win the game, I would also get in your face, and by get in your face, I mean probably punch you in it. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I'm just telling you that. I'm being honest with you. I would be that guy. Am I endorsing the cross-check for Morgan Riley? No, I am not. But you don't do what that knucklehead with Ottawa did. You just don't. You just don't do it. And to Kyle's point about, well, the Leafs came into the game showboating. Talk is cheap, Kyle. Talk is cheap. You could just laugh them out of the building. Look, we beat you. Slap shot into an empty net. You're getting something from me in return, too. Just being honest. Walter, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Yeah, my a big game uh, over at the odd there tonight, I hear. Oh, right. It's like two home games in one for me because it's the Guelph Storm who basically are right next door. I can practically touch them from the studio. Almost, eh? Almost, yep. Yeah, so... um just to continue about uh, that Leaf game, I really like what uh, uh, Ryan Reeves had to say after the game. Yeah, I thought that, if, was, if, I, I thought that was bang on. Would have been a lot different when he started in the league. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. Know? Um, uh, but um, also, Mike, have have you ever heard of the uh, sports uh, uh, thing they have in the Waterloo County uh education board it's called a schism a who what now it's called schism yeah i haven't the foggiest okay well uh, you know the reason that i'm asking is because uh my daughter's going over to the odd tonight um uh with uh a bunch of other kids that are being bussed in that are part of this program that um is uh for excellence in in arts and uh sports nice and um, so 
so she's going over there, and it's a meet the players, and they get a dinner and all this stuff. And she said that uh, if I come across that Farwell dad, uh, you want me to say anything to him? And I said, absolutely, you go up to him. And so if you have some kid who hunts you down or finds you or actually bumps into you, you know who is the father of that child. If she's if she runs into me, do I have to be kind to her because I know her father? <laughs> uh huh. Yeah. You see, I'm, I'm sure you will be, Mike. I I know what you're like. Eh? You're one way on the radio and another way. Shut up. You're not on the Shut radio. Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Have a good day. I will not make the child pay for the sins of the father. Shane. Good afternoon. How are you, Michael? Shane, I'm just fine, thank you. How are you? Wonderful. Good. Well, you know, this this property tax increase has really got me cheesed off. You and me both. My wife and I are both on ODSP. We have five children, four of them on the autism spectrum. We are barely scraping by. I had to go back to work part-time just driving a school bus to barely make ends meet. I'm literally one to two paychecks away from moving my family into a tent city. That's how wrong this area is. I don't understand. We were off for two years during those lockdowns. Where did all the money go from the pools that didn't get opened, the playgrounds that didn't get opened, the libraries that weren't being used, all that stuff? Is that just sitting in our municipal coffers? Or did did we all of a sudden miraculously have 500 roads in this city repaired completely and nobody has to worry about any more water main breaks for the next six months to a year? I just, I don't understand where all that money went. And to turn around and jack our, our rates up, yeah, sure, it's 8 or $9 a month. But 8 or $9 a month over the course of a year is a good chunk of money for people that are just barely scraping by. Shane, I hear where you're coming from. I understand that. I really do. And that's why I've been speaking about it as much as I have been. It doesn't sound like a lot. You're right, eight or nine bucks a month. But it's the whole idea of the death by a thousand cuts because it's not just that eight or nine dollars a month. And look, I want to be clear, taxes have to go up and and that's okay. Taxes are important investments in our community. I'm okay with that. What I'm asking for is that you put some guardrails around the increases. Start the number at inflation. Target to inflation. And if you're going over and above inflation, you better have a damn good reason for doing it. That's what I'm asking for. Simple as that. This is the 12 o'clock talk back hour. It's the Mike Farwell Show on City News 570. And we continue by going right back to the phones and hearing from you. Mark, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Mike. Can you hear me? I sure can. Okay. Uh, you know I'm a Leafs fan, right? I do know you're a Leafs fan. That's why we okay. get along so well. Okay. Okay. Well, sometimes. Well, What do you not, mean sometimes? We're, we okay. get along fine. Anyway. anyway. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, personally, Mike. Yes, sir. I love that slap shot in the empty net. Settle down, you did. Mike, a goal is a goal. It's up to the player if he just wants to do a little tap-tap into the net or let her rip. No, no, no. 
That will set up. That was a punk move, Mark. Punk no, move. I disagree. Well, you, that's okay. You can. Yes. And you know what they showed on the news after that uh, slap shot on the neck? The player getting his teeth knocked out by Morgan Riley? Uh, no. Oh, no. okay. What did they show? They went back to uh, an old game, and I think it was Dale Hunter. Oh, my gosh, yes. Who, who, who took out... Um, <laughs> Pierre Turgeon. Turgeon after yeah. a goal. And he got 21 games for that, Mike. Yes, he did. And that was Dale Hunter of the London Knights, right? That's correct. You mean of the Kitchener Rangers. You know he was drafted by the Kitchener Rangers, right? Correct. Yes. Correct. Yes. But uh, I seen that highlight, too, and I thought, wow. But, um, yeah, nothing wrong with that, Mike. A letter rip into the empty net, whatever you want to do. All right, Mark. Thanks for the call. It's funny because when all of this was boiling over and... I was sitting on the couch at home and I shared this with my beloved and I then shared with her, I said, this reminds me of that infamous Dale Hunter body check on Pierre Turgeon. I I do think Hunter on Turgeon was a little bit more extreme. However, very similar. Scores a goal and then, but in this case, like all Pierre Turgeon did was score a goal, which he's supposed to do. This guy into an empty net did the punk move, in my opinion, Mark disagrees, takes the slap shot into the empty net to rub your face in it. Anyway, very similar. Mark's not wrong. I did the same thing, showed both videos to my beloved. She's like, this didn't really happen. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, it did. Andre, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. Hi, Andre. Hello. Um, I'll make it short. Uh, I just want to say that uh, I'm back after two and a half weeks. Um I, I've been traveling a lot in the community. People are nice. The weather is nice. I want to share some positives because tonight I'm going to be at the game, Mike. Um, I know you said earlier that the only one they got they got is against Guelph. So I think Guelph are going to hit them. Uh, they're going to try to hit them hard. But like you said, you know, the fun is there. I'm going to be with my son. And uh, let's go Rangers. All right, Andre, thanks for the call. Yes, the last win for the Rangers came against the Gulf Storm. That's the only win the Rangers have had in their past nine games. And thanks to Marino for the email to Mike at 570news.com. Walter called before, asked if I knew about the SHISM program. I'd never heard of it. SHSM, it stands for Specialist High Skills Major. There are many different programs, and students can receive recognition for completing These programs can be construction, auto, many, many other areas of education. Marino, thanks for sharing that. And now we know why those schism kids will be at the Kitchener Rangers game tonight. This is the Mike Farwell Show and your 12 o'clock talkback hour on City News 570. Three minutes away from one, an update from the City News Center, and then Rob Snow. Now you know, coming up one until three. For us, back to the phones on our 12 o'clock talkback hour. Mike, good afternoon. Hi, Mike. I just did some math on our uh, property taxes. We pay about, <laughs> and in our neighbor here, in our neighborhood here, four to $5,000 a year on taxes. So if you increase that by 6%, let's say at 4000 that's $240 a year. $240 a year is a significant increase on the lower end. I don't... 
eight nine. It's not eight nine dollars a month for people who who own a single dwelling. Um, I think this is just uh, propaganda again, and we got to stop listening to Vasic math. Talk to you later. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. We do base things on the quote unquote average household in a community when we set these property tax rates. Look, I understand the frustration. I also understand that our municipal councillors are our most accessible and they wear most of this and bear the brunt of this. And I can understand certainly how difficult that is. Again, taxes are important investments in our community. I'm not going to sit here and rant and rave about all taxes being awful and evil and we should never pay taxes or never have taxes increased, etc. We do want to maintain a certain standard of living in a community. I just think that going over inflation had better be backed up by some really strong rationale. And I haven't heard that yet. And frankly, I'll add it to the tax bill that we've had applied to us by the region over the past couple of years, pushing 20% just in two years from our upper level of municipal government. So it's tough. And I feel the same pains that you feel in just going to the grocery store when you want to put food on the table and doing the other things, right? (laughs) My beloved and I were talking about the cost of a bottle of mouthwash the other day. Maybe we could go without. We'll just brush instead of using mouthwash as well. But I've got two really big phobias. I never want to have bad breath and I never want to smell bad. Well, I'm losing one of those because I feel like I smell like a skunk these days. So if I can just at least get some scope into my mouth, I'm pretty happy. Anyway, I'll leave that right there. We're going to get you to the City News Center, get you that update, get you to Rob Snow's show, Now You Know, from 1 until 3. As I look ahead at our show tomorrow, why were all those notices sent home to get kids vaccinated? What values of the city does Cambridge want to uphold with this new security team? And what about encampments across this country? What is that telling us from the federal government's own report about our failure in housing? All of that coming up on the show tomorrow. Devin Robertson is the guy on the other side of the glass. My name is Mike Farwell. Hey, I'll talk to you tonight from the rink, okay? Pre-game coverage with Paul Fixter and I starts at 6.35, Rangers and Storm at 7. Bye for now.